welcome to the Plant Industry News Podcast hosted by Holly Hughes with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Division of Plant Industry. As a regulatory agency of the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, the Division of Plant Industry works to detect, intercept, and control plant and honeybee pests that threaten Florida's native and commercially grown plants and agricultural resources. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we'll hear from Dr. Trevor Smith from the Director's Desk and Dr. Leroy Wilby. Leroy serves as the Bureau Chief for the Bureau of Entomology, Nematology, and Plant Pathology. In our interview, Leroy shares about his role as Bureau Chief, as well as his job with the Medical Corps in the U.S. Army, and how both his civilian and military careers compare to each other. Then stay tuned for news and announcements in the Division Digest. From the Director's Desk with Trevor Smith. Well, hello everyone. This is Trevor uh, reaching out to you from the Director's Office. I think one of the things I want to start out with this month is that we actually had someone win one of our awards, one of our most prestigious awards. Uh, last year, but uh, unfortunately, he couldn't be at the uh, the holiday luncheon. So I was glad to actually travel down to Winter Haven yesterday, which was nice, just to actually get out of the office again. I think like like all of you, we've been locked up with COVID-19 for so long. It was just nice to get out to uh, to one of our offices outside of Gainesville. But part of the reason we were going down there was we wanted to be able to give Johnny Yates, a 39-year veteran of DPI, the FM O'Byrne Award uh, in person. I wanted to make sure he got that from me personally. We had a good time. We had lunch. We sat around and talked and told stories. And as you can imagine, Johnny being here for almost four decades had quite a few interesting stories to, to talk about. So... Uh, it was nice to be down there. Uh, something else going on in Winter Haven. For those of you that don't know, we have our Citrus Arboretum down there. Probably six, seven years ago, that Arboretum was looking pretty bad. It had canker. It had uh, greening. There was deficiencies. We didn't have all the best equipment out there. We didn't have all the acidified water. There were a lot of things we weren't doing. And this is kind of a historic planting. So we have all kinds of varieties going back a hundred years that we've planted out there and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons is that's a way for us to preserve the genetic material. So we've got those trees out there that we can always cut budwood from. But also we designed that so that growers could come out and actually look at a tree and see what it looks like, what kind of production you might get out of it, what does the fruit look like, peel a fruit, eat a fruit, before you invest in thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of a tree, a plant, you'd like to know what you're getting. So this is a good opportunity, and I'm hoping that most of you get to see that at some point in your career. It's a really interesting place. It's, it's a neat arboretum, and we've actually got a whole bunch of the new varieties planted now. Uh, Justin and Jason and the whole team down there are doing a great job of trying to integrate some of the newer varieties that the breeders are coming up with now. Eventually, we're going to have a map of every tree on that property, a little history about the variety, where it came from, what kind of plant 
it is, you know, a lemon, a lime, a tangerine, a mandarin. And we're probably going to start opening that up. To, it's open now to the public and to growers, but we'll probably start advertising it again as somewhere people can go. And one of the things we're using down there now that seems to be incredibly effective with citrus canker is actually a beneficial bacterium. So you can actually spray the trees, it absorbs this bacteria, and the bacteria attacks canker, which is another bacteria. So you've got good bacteria attacking bad bacteria. And what's amazing about it is we saw trees down there, they have canker. You can find lesions on the leaves, but they're dead. The canker is dead. And there, was no, there were no lesions on the fruit. So the arboretum's looking great. Uh, we're doing some using some experimental things out there that seem to be incredibly effective uh, but it was just nice to get out there and see the arboretum really looking like some of the pictures i've seen from back in the 60s and 70s it, it really looks great out there so that was a nice trip and congratulations to johnny yates again uh, 40 years almost 40 years with dpi and the fmo burn award if you all aren't familiar with it is the highest award you can get as an inspector it's based on Patty O'Byrne, who was our very, very first inspector. He's the one that developed the inspector training that we still do today. He's the one that wrote the regulations for nurseries and then was sent up to the southeastern United States to bring all the other states on board to harmonize those nursery regulations so we could move plants across state lines. So he's a really celebrated historical figure in DPI, and, and that's why the award's named after him. So another issue that's cropped up this last month, you might have heard about the murder hornet, which is the media's sensationalized name for the Asian giant hornet, which is a big giant wasp and it feeds on honeybees and other things, but it just looks scary. And for whatever reason, once the New York Times ran with that story, it was picked up all over the place. And it's a great example of going into work on a Monday thinking you're gonna do one thing and then <laughs> being hit with something completely unexpected. And this is something I wanna kind of talk about a little bit with our helpline. This is the kind of stuff that, that you all might not realize that they deal with all the time. So of course they're answering questions about citrus diseases and fruit fly issues and hemp questions and that's day-to-day -day happening all the time. But things that are in the news that especially sensational things like this, all of a sudden we'll get hundreds of calls about. So everybody wants to know about the murder hornet. Is it here? I think I've seen it. You know, where do I send specimens? Can I take pictures? What are you guys doing about this? And the helpline has to be able to be pretty nimble and, and on their toes and be able to answer those things or at least direct those calls to the right people. We were hit with that on a Monday and by the end of the week, we had already put together all kinds of uh, information, materials that are out there uh, on our website and in our social media. We actually have a really cool, if you get a chance to check out one of those um, information sheets, it's a little different. It's interesting. You can see real size. We have actual size of various wasps that you find in Florida compared to the Asian giant hornet just so you can see how big it is and how different it looks from anything we have in Florida. Uh, but just as an FYI, it's only been found in Washington State and British Columbia, So, but the only place in the United States is Washington State. It's only been a few specimens, 
and there's been no evidence that, uh, that there's a population anywhere else in the United States. But it is something that our apiary team looks for. Uh, for a while, we were trapping uh, for it. We're not necessarily, we don't have specific traps out for it now, but we're always on the lookout for this. This is something we're looking for. A few weeks ago was National Invasive Species Week, and that's something that uh, we really took advantage of. As most of you know, that's our bread and butter. We're dealing with invasive species every single day, uh, day in and day out. So we really did a lot of uh, social media, a lot of outreach, a lot of things just uh, talking about invasive species, how costly they are, how easy it is to move them around in fruit and plant material and things like that. And we actually reached out to the division as a whole to see if anyone wanted to do little video segments and things like that to discuss this issue. And we had some really good ones come in. So I encourage you to check some of that out if you get the chance. Uh, we've got some very talented people in the division when it comes to uh, little video segments and things like that. So be sure to check that out. Of course, we're coming to the end of the fiscal year and I, I don't wanna really talk too much about it because I think everybody's done a great job this year. Thank you all for sticking to your budgets. We're pretty much right where we need to be, even though uh, some of our revenue is down this year just because of COVID. We just weren't out doing as many inspections or our customers didn't want people coming out for inspections. So our revenue's down a little bit, but overall we stayed in budget and everybody did a really good job on that front. That's probably all I'm gonna hit on. I mean, it's been COVID, 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 and it, it's, while nothing has really stopped for us, it also has kind of slowed down any kind of new initiatives. But things are picking up again. Uh, UF, University of Florida universities are starting to open up a little more again. USDA is starting to bring more people back in. And, and so are we. So things are hopefully coming back to normalcy somewhere near whatever the new norm is. Um, but we're here to support you all and uh, as we go forward, we'll do it safely. And like I say, we'll get back to normal here soon. So thanks everybody. When you travel by land, sea, or air, ask, can I bring it? And declare agricultural items. With your help, we can safeguard natural resources and protect the food supply from invasive pests and disease. Whatever your destination, enjoy the journey and remember, don't pack a pest. Thanks for tuning back into the Plant Industry News Podcast. Today we have Dr. Leroy Wilby. He is the Bureau Chief of the Bureau of Entomology, Nematology, and Plant Pathology, and we shorten that to Diagnostics because Botany is also in there, but they're not a part of the title. So, Leroy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. We just want you to introduce yourself first for the folks that don't know you, although you're a very popular guy around here, so there's no way that people don't know who you are. But tell us about your education and your career background, how long you've been with the division, and the different roles that you've had here. Okay, um, so I'll just start with my tenure here. Um, I've been here for over 10 years with the division. Started as a, a pet survey specialist with the CAPS program. 
And then I did move up into the position of state survey coordinator for the CAPS program for about two years. Then I became the bureau chief of entomology, nematology, and plant pathology, as you previously mentioned, mm-hmm. ENPP for short. We do have several different sections in ENPP that I still haven't mentioned, which includes the quarantine um, oh, yeah. section. Yeah. We also have the fruit fly labs mm-hmm. down in South Florida or Central, South Central Florida. And we have anything that has to do with diagnostics and the CAPS team yep. is now part of the Bureau. It's a little bit more than just ENPP. Yeah, it's a little misleading to just say ENPP because there are so many things that follow under your umbrella that aren't, you know, introduced in the title. You ask a little bit more about myself and where I'm from. Um, Those of you who haven't known the accent, I'm from Jamaica. (laughs) I think that should be obvious. So I started my um, career in Jamaica. I have an Associate of Science degree in general agriculture from Jamaica, College of Agriculture. It was then, now it's College of Agriculture, Science and Education, the case. But I got my Associate of Science degree from Jamaica. Then I migrated here to go to university in Missouri, which I went to Lincoln University in Missouri. I didn't know that. And that's where I got my bachelor's plant science. And then I moved to Florida A&M. I got my master's from Florida A&M in general agriculture again, with a specific interest in agroforestry. So I kind of mixed it up a little bit there in my master's. But then I went and did a doctor of plant medicine degree in the University of Florida. Okay. No, for you, those of you who don't know what that program is, it includes entomology, nematology, and also plant pathology. So being the bureau chief of entomology, nematology, and plant pathology just was right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. Kind of general, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's pretty interesting how I end up there, but um, pretty cool to to be the bureau chief of that bureau. It's like that. that it's like that position was made, made for you. For, right. <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit because you are one of only a handful of people that work here that have DPMs rather than a PhD. Have you always been interested in plants and studying plants? Did you always want to do something in agriculture? What kind of influenced you or inspired you to pursue that career? Well, you know, growing up in Jamaica from when I was um, younger, I went to the farm with my grandfather. I grew up with my grandparents mm-hmm. back home. So I've always have a love for plants and even animals. Um, my mom thought I was going to be a vet. Oh, okay. I did a lot with animals, but I, I tend to stick to the the plant side. And the reason is, is because back then in Jamaica, the animal industry wasn't all that attractive. So I did steer myself to the plant side of things. Never wanted to pursue, though. I worked for three years in Jamaica as a, what you call a food storage inspector, which is like a health inspector. Mm-hmm. But we had to do with stored project insects. So when I came here, I was searching for something within that field. But there is not any program for food storage. So I did general plant and soil science. Is that what you gravitate toward more is the plants? Yes. Yes. Another kind of special quality about you is that you also serve on the medical corps for the U.S. Army. Why don't you kind of delve into that a little bit and what your role is on that you're the commander 
Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Okay. So that that's that's an interesting thing that um, I've always wanted to be a part of the military, even when I was in Jamaica, but didn't have the chance to really pursue that part mm-hmm. um, while I was there. So this opportunity came up where it, it was like a once in a lifetime opportunity because I thought I was past the age to be in the military. But I always like the discipline that comes with the military and the ability to do something that is um, serving your country or something like that. So this opportunity came up where you could still have your degree and become an officer. And there is a special project which is called the medical endomology position in the army that was open with an incentive also. So they will pay back your school fee. And that was just right down my alley. Wow. Um, Actually... Even though it says it says medical entomologist, because my degree is not an entomology degree, it was very difficult in qualifying for that position. Okay. I had to kind of do an audit of my degree and make sure they know that it is actually included yeah. entomology. Weed through your coursework so, so my, that they know. So my first application was turned down because they said I wasn't an entomologist. Interesting. And then I um, reapplied and explain why I qualified for that position and mm-hmm. I, I got in to the military here. So as you said, I searched, I served in the medical corps as a medical entomologist on a preventive medicine unit. Okay. A unit of 13 and I'm the commander for the unit. I've been in the military for five years. I went in as a first lieutenant. I'm a captain now. I got promoted to a captain after I went to basic officer school. Okay. Right. So you talked about how there was like an age limit. So your age limit for general going into the military is 35. But they waived that for specific AOC, which is area of concentration. Okay. Right? Mine is because medical entomologists are specific. (laughs) Yeah. They waived that to 42. The age is 42 is a cutoff you can go with. So, and they also give a real good incentive because there's not much people that's in entomology that want to go into the military. Mm -hmm. So that was a a shoe in for me into the military at that age. Do you know if other branches have similar positions? Yes. There's medical entomologists on preventive medicine unit in almost every branch. Oh, interesting. And so you all kind of do similar things? And also, the, we have veterinaries in the military, which is a veterinary AOC. So what does everyone... Okay, so I'm just assuming that everybody in your unit has a different specialty. So my position that I hold right now is supposed to be an environmental specialist as the commander. That is a 72 Delta. I'm a 72 Bravo, which is a medical entomologist. There's not much people opting for 72 Delta because it doesn't pay an incentive. Oh. It only requires a bachelor's to be a center to Delta. It requires an, a master's upwards to, in entomology to be a medical entomologist. Okay. So you have two officers, the, the way this, the team is built up, you have two officers. One of them is supposed to be an environmental specialist. The other one is supposed to be a medical entomologist. Oh. The medical entomologist is usually ex or the executive officer. And the environmental scientist is the commander. Okay. Then you have what you call 68 series and they're preventive meds. Okay. That's what they call. Um, so what kind of degrees series, do they have? 
those are enlisted soldiers. Okay. So they don't have to have a degree. Okay. But they have to pass with a high ASVAB score. So most of the times we lose them because their score is high. Once their score is high, they can go to other nice jobs mm-hmm. in the military. Mm-hmm. Those who like the preventive medicine one, like water quality and stuff, the people who stay really like their job. And so we have, the rest of the teams is made up of those guys and one mechanic. There's one mechanic in our unit because we have vehicles yeah. and we have equipment that they can work on and off. So what do you do? So do you go ahead of troops or are you not working with other troops at all? Kind of what do you do in, in that role? So my... Basically, as um, as a preventive medicine unit, we sometimes go ahead. It depends on what the mission is. Mm-hmm. We sometimes, but most of the times, we're working with troops, and um, to keep them healthy, and keep them protected from insects that carry diseases. We do water quality analysis to make sure they are drinking right. We do inspections of facilities like where you live, mm-hmm. your food facilities, your barber saloons, things like that, um, to make sure that they're operating within regulations. Mm-hmm. And so we also do machine shops, repair shops like vehicle repair mm-hmm. facilities, um, making sure they're dumping oil as a part of the industrial hygiene sections that we do, making sure they're not exposed to certain noise decibels and stuff like that from the machine and continuous noise when i said we inspect like you you live in quarters we also look at how you sleep and how close you sleep and uh, and we also check medical records um, to ensure that anything that they're exposed to is not showing up and it becomes a pandemic or anything like that mm-hmm. within the the era of operation where we're operating that's kind of a mouthful but it's, no, it's, it's so it's interesting. <laughs> That's honestly something that I would have never thought the army needs to consider whenever they're deploying to other countries that maybe we've never had military presence in before to think about, okay, what is the environment like? What's in the ecosystem there? Have we ever been introduced to something like that before? And those preventative measures before we send people over there to live for months, years, I mean, who knows? So that's really interesting. And that's cool. You talk about the environment, and and what I mentioned previously is just some of what we do, but we also do air quality. Um, There's um, air quality equipment that we use to test the air quality. Um, We send it to a lab, and we see what's in the air, what we're breathing in. Noise, you see all those um, news about people losing their hearing because of certain hearing aid. Yeah. We also do noise exposure tests to make sure that people are not exposed to. These are great little like science and research opportunities for, you know, you guys to conduct while also being able to serve your country. That's really cool. That's pretty cool too. Um, a lot of people don't think about it this way, but if, for every era of operation that we go out to, when a soldier comes back home, the records that they look on is, our records that says you were exposed to this Mm -hmm. and that is what people use as evidence to get their disability or whatever they're going to get oh interesting with the va oh wow man we're a big part of that yeah that's a huge responsibility for them i mean not for like long term even after they've you know retired or uh, discharged from the service that's yeah, that's extremely important. With your role in the Army and here as a Bureau Chief with DPI, what do you think 
are some responsibilities and roles that are similar? And what have you learned uh, while working at DPI that carries over with you to what you do for the Army? A couple of things. One of it is the management aspect. And um, I'm the commander, so I'm the, the kind of the general manager for the unit. Mm-hmm. And we have a unit of 13, but we have what you call force multipliers out there that we train people to do what we do. They can't make the call, but we can have them hypochlorinate their water. We can have them trained to test their water to see if something is wrong with it. So where we're not everywhere, we actually are working for thousands of people there. Here, I have in my bureau averaging around 74 employees. And the management aspect of managing so much people is what carries over the ability to coordinate that activity or several different activities across that large bureau is one of the aspects that I use across the line, whether I'm using it in the military or I'm using it in my civilian job. Just being able to communicate with the different aspects, um, communicate with different, just different groups and how... Personalities. Personality. Yeah. It's something else that I can see I'm using it over and over when I cross the field. The other thing is it's just science-based and I'm a scientist and so taking a sample, sending it to a lab, yeah, testing it in a lab is the same thing that carries over here. So. Yeah, you do those every day. Right. And the cool thing about it is my job is the entomology part, which I'm trained as an entomologist, so I'm doing the same thing as I've done here. Mm-hmm. I just manage it here, but I'm actually doing the, some of the identifications there. If you're in the field or you're deployed or something, what kind of resources do you have to help you with those identifications? Well, one of the things about our unit, um, it comes with equipment and supplies, and most of those equipment and supplies are what we use. We have testing equipment, mm-hmm. um, air quality testing equipment. We also have microscopes, so we have dissecting microscopes that we carry with us. So our kits that we bring with us have ways to preserve insects, oh, wow. um, collecting equipment, same like here, entomology equipment. Mm-hmm. We all have that in our kits in the military. Um, we have insect traps, different type of insect traps for mosquitoes. We have different type of nets that we use to catch insects. Um, we have we do tick drag same way. So we look underneath the microscope to see what type of ticks and yeah, um, kind of use the same resources such as um, literature to find out. Okay. to key something down. So we have electronic keys that we use, and also we have keys in the books too that we use just like the end of the month. Yeah, right? so you have a lot of the similar yes. or same resources. Yes. EMPP has many sections and programs, like you were explaining the different ones that kind of fall under your bureau that aren't necessarily represented in the title, that are all reporting up to you. How does your leadership style change, or does it, between leading here at DPI and leading your unit in the Army? I don't think the leadership style is what change. I think how you disseminate that style is what is different. Mm -hmm. For example, here I have managers that manages below me. It's the same system, but it's more militant where you have a chain of command in Mm -hmm. in the military. Here I have an open door policy. Well, there I'm protected not to do certain things. Yeah. 
So it's a little bit more fluid over here and you know, you can move up along the length and breadth of your bureau. Over there, it's a little bit different. It's more structured. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's how you disseminate that information down and how you get it. Yeah. It's a little bit different. One thing that I observe because I don't report to you and, you know, we're just, we just are coworkers, but you're very much a, here's the problem, let's find a solution. And that whole problem solver aspect of you, I think probably correlates well with the army because if you're put in a situation okay here's the problem and now we have to find the answer to it and kind of what are the steps that we're going to take to resolve it or overcome it or whatever um, well well definitely that's something that the military trains you to do it's like uh, we see a problem as, a, as an opportunity yeah there you so, go you know something comes at you when you adjust and you overcome and that's that's how we do it in the military yeah because we're gonna survive we're gonna we're gonna see that issue coming. We're gonna say, okay, here's an opportunity to fix that issue, and we're gonna move on. It's something that I you're probably right that I carry over here. I, I I look beyond trying to slice and dice what caused the problem. A lot of times we wanna know that because we wanna fix make sure it doesn't happen. But the solution to the problem is you don't have to dwell deep into why it happened. We can find those solutions and move on mm -hmm. and just don't make it happen again. Yeah. You know, so I think definitely some of that comes from the military. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I tried that discipline to go into something and how to adapt and overcome. Yep. In your role as bureau chief here, are you involved at all in any of the emergency programs that we have? <laughs> as a bureau chief, you're here. You're part of that emergency <laughs> program. I mean... <laughs> Um, so I'm, most of the times, the last one, I was logistics when I went on. So, and the way I look at logistics is that we make things happen. Yeah. So, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. And you, you can shift that logistic across the spectrum and make things happen. Because while I was in logistics on the last program, I was out in the field trying to tell them how to do something efficiently. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So it's pretty interesting how I can use some of that skill to from the military over into the emergency program. By the way, most of my training in, on the military side is also mirrored on the state side because we do that emergency program. Oh, yeah, with the ICS training. So we do ICS training over So there. you're using That's similar... That's where it was developed. Yeah, actually. so you're using similar lingo in, yes. both of your, in both of your jobs. Right. Oh, yeah, all the time. I use a lot of acronyms, and that's where it becomes an acronym soup. You talk about the USDA and the state having <laughs> acronyms. The military has acronyms. Yeah. And if you notice, there are sometimes I made a uh, mistake of writing respectfully in my email answer. Uh-huh. Or saying VR slash R. That's very respectfully. Okay. So every now and then I get catch with that. Somebody will say, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. I use an acronym that is military acronym over on the civilian side. That's one thing that I've <laughs> noticed about talking about emergency programs, sit rep, situation reports. Yeah. That's a, a mutual term <laughs> that's used by mm -hmm. us and by the military. I think that's mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah, so there are other things that I use. I can't remember one that I used the other day. And they were asking me, and what is that? And as, as I explain it, and they say, oh, we're going to use that now. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. 
can't remember exactly what it was, but I used it and Brian saw it. And I think Greg saw it. And they both asked me like, we're like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so you're introducing us to some new terms as well. So this is going, we're pivoting a little bit and go, kind of going off topic, but as a bureau chief, what does your typical day look like if you have a typical day? Well, a typical day starts out where you're planning and have a list of what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then none of it happens. Because <laughs> <laughs> other things come up. Because <laughs> other things come up and you just get, you never know. It's an interesting job because you can find a new insect today and it turns your whole day into mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, or a new pathogen and it turns your whole day into that. So it's, it's pretty interesting. It's always exciting be the bureau chief right? because it's always something new and the, the good thing about being the chief is that you're not only in entomology so or nematology you are in pathology by itself you're in all of them so mm-hmm. an emergency is no doubt is going to come from one <laughs> yeah <laughs> on a weekly basis yeah so that keeps us going that's the exciting thing about being the bureau chief the only thing that stays the same around these parts is that no day is ever the same. That's the only consistent thing right, is right. that no two days are alike. So you really have a lot of administrative duties and stuff until things, like you mentioned, arise that you kind of right. need to address in whatever section it is. That... Right. And um, because I report directly to the assistant director, everything that affects them affects us. So we're direct in contact all the time. Mm-hmm solving issues and a lot of what they're bringing to upper management is coming from us mm-hmm. as a scientist so yeah. it's on a daily basis the only thing that stays constant is that you have to do somebody's timesheet <laughs> <laughs> you, you know <laughs> yeah um, but those things are constants but the daily routine you don't know which insect is going to or which pathogen is going to turn up in the bureau or maybe not in the bureau but you know, a report online or in the news or something. Right, and right. so then you have all of these different information requests that are coming in. Right. We recently had that with the Asian giant hornet, right. which was happening in Washington. But people, you know, that are paying attention want to know information about that. And so you're having to communicate with the public to disseminate that information. Well, thank you, Leroy, so much for joining us. Is there anything else you want to add? No, um, I think that's that's a lot. Um, yeah, there's always a lot more I can add, but um, <laughs> you know I can keep I can go on and on and on. You know me, um, teaching the bureau one on one. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and and talking to us about me. your both of your jobs, and thank you so much for your service to our country. We really appreciate you. So, thanks for stopping by. Thank you. DPI, we work with pollinators every day. Check out our recent blog celebrating National Pollinator Week to learn about different types of pollinators and what you can do to support them in your own backyard. Blog posts cover a variety of topics and are posted regularly at fdaxdpi.wordpress.com. Now it's time for the Division Digest. This month, we are excited to recognize and welcome Georgian Paris, 
the new social media coordinator in the Public Information and Outreach Office. Georgianne joined us in February as a recent graduate of the University of Florida with a bachelor's degree in public relations and a concentration in art. Welcome, Georgianne. We also want to announce the retirement of Mark Smith from the Bureau of Methods Development and Biological Control. Mark has worked for the last seven years in the Biocontrol 2 lab. Congratulations on your retirement, Mark, and best wishes for this new chapter in life. Thanks for tuning in to Plant Industry News. We appreciate our special guests for keeping us informed and updated. Follow us on social media at FDAXDPI. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, or announcements you think should be included, email us at dpi-blog at fdax.gov. This podcast was produced by Holly Hughes. Don't bug us. We'll have another episode next month.